My name is Jenna, but you can call me Jenna the Jaunty. Or most exalted destroyer of my pride, you can cower before my mighty thumbs and beg for mercy, but you'll be crushed just the same, for I am the lord of the podcast. <laughs> Delights, we're on book 35, The Proposal. Marco's dad is dating again, and it's stressing Marco out so bad he's morphing half-creatures. He sees a famous TV guru, William Roger Tennant, promote the sharing on his show, so the gang morphs into William's beloved parakeets to spy on him. After a phone call with Vizzer, William almost kills Marco because he finds the birds so annoying, though he needs them for his cover persona. The group decides to annoy him so bad he breaks down in public. Marco finds this to be a highly stress-relieving situation, even if it fails to work. William is too good at his cover. Finally, Marco manages to annoy him sufficiently backstage and lure him onto camera as he is attacked, destroying William's reputation. Marco's dad proposes to his girlfriend and they get hitched, just in time for Marco to receive a call from his host mother. Cliffhanger. So that's this book. Tell us about the author, Brent. Uh, yeah, this one was ghostwritten by Jeffrey Zilke, who also ghostwrote 25 The Extreme, which you may remember as the book where somehow less stuff happened than in the book where the Sanrio rip erased everything that happened at the end of it. Yes, I remember that from the last time we bad talked it. <laughs> yes. Um, this one I thought was much better written uh, because it at least had stuff happening. Yes, agreed. Uh, now, as Daring25, uh, I cannot find much about Jeffrey Zelke on the internet, except for a handful of kids' books published by Scholastic. Well, I thought this was, it felt like the most Animorphs, like K.A. Animorphs book, because there's like a lot of action and hijinks and terrible plans. <laughs> so many terrible plans. So really just a terrible plan after terrible plan, uh, as I've come to expect from the Animorphs. So all of that felt very familiar and good. It did have some pretty fucking miserable gender politics. Yeah. And I don't even know where to start, really. Let, no, I know where to start. Let's start with the guy code. Brent, can you tell me about the guy code? I Is that like that thing from How I Met Your Mother? Oh, is it? I don't know. The, the bro code? I think that's the bro code. I uh, think same this predates though. that. I mean, so as I understand it, the guy code is that you're not supposed to talk about your feelings with other men. Is that fair? I mean... I, I am familiar with that trope. I don't think I ever heard it formalized like such in real life amongst my friends, but I also was the sort of wuss who didn't care for football, so I may not be the authority to ask about this. I mean, you're a, you're a dude. You have called upon me to explain girl stuff. That's true. So that's I true. expect you to be able to explain dude stuff. All right. Okay. I'm just saying I'm not exactly dialed in necessarily to the, the okay, masculine fine. ideal. So here. I think the guy code is actually just men agreeing to not burden each other with their emotions when those emotions could just be heaped on women instead and, and made to make them do the emotional labor, which is what happens in this book. I can see that. Although I think at least in Marco's case, the intention is not to 
burden it on women, but rather to stuff it down in a tiny little box and then lock that box and then throw away the key and hope that nothing ever exits the box, which never works because the box always breaks. This book doesn't do anything to really suggest that that's a really bad way of handling the things. In fact, it really suggests that that's what you should do. Don't talk about your feelings. Guy code. <laughs> it's funny. Uh, I mean, in a horrifying way that Cassie really put herself out there because she and Marco are friends, right? They, it, It's canon. Yes. They have been friends before they were Animorphs. She's the one who really notices that something's up with them. She's the one who like really goes out of her way to reach out, go over to his house and say, hey, I'm here. If you need to talk to someone, I'm here to listen. Uh, and Marco just kind of shuts her down. Uh, hard. Yes, yeah. hard. Uh, it, it, way more aggressively than he needs to. And then what actually like pulls him out of his weird morphine problem later in the book is Jake saying basically the same thing, but meaner. Yes, that's exactly it. Because Cassie's advice is basically like, deal with the things that you can deal with. You can't control everything. And a lot of shit's miserable, but you've just got to act in, in your sphere of control. You've just got to take care of the animals. You can't change all of the world at once. And that's like what Jake yells at Marco later. And that works because I guess a guy said it. I mean, Jake doesn't even yell it as explicitly. He just yells, like, deal with your shit now. Yeah. That apparently is the correct way to, uh, to to pull somebody out of a thing. Yeah, and that moment was extra bad because, like, Cassie's trying to talk to Marco. Like, Marco, we need you. To, you, you just have to deal with what you're dealing with. And Jake's like, Cassie, I love you. I don't think he says he loves her. C Cassie, I respect you, but shut up. And it's like, oh, ooh, that's a bad moment. <laughs> yeah, it's a real bad Maybe moment. Maybe don't. That that's the thing that gets me is I expected in this book that there would be a turn because Marco is just a shithead this whole book. He's really mean to his dad, his dad trying to talk to him about his new girlfriend, Nora, and how how into each other they are and how happy he is. And the rest of Animorphs trying to talk to him about that situation. And Marco is just absolutely not having it at all. He lashes out. He's super mean. And I... I was expecting that there would be this moment where he's like, I'm sorry, this come to grace moment uh -huh. where he acknowledges that and was like, okay, I'm sorry, I've been really out of it. That this, this is what's been happening. But it doesn't. He's just a shitty person, this whole book. And it, it suggested that he makes things right. But we never actually see him do it. We just see him being a shithead. I really hated that. So come to Grace, Grace, in this case, being half of the titular duo from popular 90s sitcom Will and Grace. Yes, exactly that. Okay, well, just wanted to it? make sure we are on the same page. Okay. <laughs> so I don't know. It just it didn't seem like there was payoff for Marco being shitty. Now, I, I may be... I, I'm kind of out of my depth here. You, you, among the two of us, are the person who has an actual education in media studies and qualifications to analyze things. I am sort of armchairing here, but the sense that I kept having while I was reading this was that the tropes that we're seeing in this that are grading on us were really common at the time in like action media. I don't know if they've stayed the same or gone down since then. Do you have a take on that? About, like, emotional withdrawnness? Yeah, about the, oh, all you need to do is just shout, get it together loud enough, and then that snaps the person out of it. Oh, I mean, I don't think that's a huge 
thing in action media necessary. I don't think it really matters whether or not it's a trope, because the books up to this point, as K.A. and the ghostwriters have been writing them, have not been this. They have been like, let's talk it out. Let's figure what's happening. Let's tell each other what's happening. And even when the Animorphs fail to do so because they have a weird crocodile allergy and they're trying to <laughs> repress it, even then, like, they they still do talk things out. Like, they do still engage with their emotions. And the fact that this book was all about emotions, but we don't ever actually see that turn. Like, I don't think it really matters so much whether or not it was a trope. It, it was poorly used here in this artifact. Well, yes. And, and you're right. It doesn't really matter if it was a trope. I just thought it might be an interesting avenue of discussion. I mean, it, to talk about other, other media artifacts on our Animorph podcast. Yes, exactly so. Just really pad yes. that content. Yeah, I don't think we need to. And also, I, I'm not prepared to talk to the uh, tropes of 90s action movies. That's not what I studied. Well, okay, that's fair. I And I sprung that on you without any time to prepare, so. Yeah, I wouldn't have either anyway, because <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah, well. this is an anim our Animorphs podcast where we talk about Animorphs. <laughs> Tell me more about this book, Brent. Uh, did we... Did we were we informed prior to this book that uh, Marco's dad was dating again? No. It was sort of... Because no. I, I couldn't remember if, if it had been... Like, if it had just been sprung on us at the beginning of this book, or if we'd seen it before. Yeah, no, this was a trap that was sprung <laughs> on us, Brent. <laughs> no, this is the first we mention. I mean, we've seen da uh, Marco's dad, who still doesn't have a name, kind of get better and get a little bit more engaged with his whole life in general. Right. But this is the first we've seen of him dating. And we don't really have a good idea how long he and Nora have been dating, so... It's implied that it's been at least long enough for the rest of the Animorphs to put her under some surveillance and see if she's a controller or not. Although, frankly, the fact that she's a teacher at Marco's school is pretty much a lock on her being a controller, regardless of how much surveillance they did. I refuse to believe there's a single faculty member at that school that is not just dunking their head in the yurt pool every three <laughs> days. Yeah, especially if she's, like, slipping down during a class to to get her yurk raise, her cadrona raise. Like, there's a good chance that they they missed her. <laughs> there's a chance. Or if she's not a yurk already, she's gonna be, because she works at this fucking school. That's true. That's something that none of them really thought about, and I did not either until just now. <laughs> <laughs> I just assume it's a matter of time before she sees something, you know? Mm -hmm. And then she gets get... They also... They they mentioned that they go through all this trouble of spying on her and making sure she's not a controller, but I don't think they've done that for any of their parents, which is weird. I'm I'm pretty sure that at least we know they haven't done it for either of Cassie's parents because last I checked, we still thought for that, sure. Yeah, we still thought that one or both of them were controllers, a hundred percent. Yeah, probably her mom for certain. Yeah, I mean maybe it's the sort of thing where they don't want to know because it's really miserable for Jake. But it seems like that would be a worthwhile thing. Like, they are, they need that intelligence, even if it would be a real bummer. Yeah. I mean, if one of Cassie's parents was a controller, specifically, you would think at some point, they would be like, so all these animals that we've seen, I notice they keep showing up right after we get a sick one in the barn. <laughs> Might want to keep an eye on that. Yeah, that would be a funny, that would be a funny tie-in. Later on, a funny book plot. A funny, sad book plot. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
So I'd really hope that by now, literally any of them had learned to just be upfront about their morphine problems. Mm, I mean, given how many times it keeps happening, like stairs, it just keeps happening. And still, still, Mark, it's just like, nah, I can do this. I got it on my own. Yeah, as a as a trope, speaking of tropes, that one's getting a little worn thin. And they, they even reference it when they confront Marco about about his bad dual morph thing. His, what was it? The, uh, the skider, the skunk spider, which I really like. I think the, it sounds spunk. cute. Yeah, the spunk. The cute little spunk. Gross. Anyway, they... <laughs> they <laughs> They he like specifically calls out Rachel because Rachel also had a very similar thing and didn't tell anybody and and kept it hidden for way too long. And it's like, yeah, you're right, Marco. You guys have gone through the same thing before. So what if we don't anymore? (laughs) I let's let's sidebar for a second. To talk okay. about, you know, I love a sidebar. I we we love a sidebar here at Fandalites. <laughs> Let's absolutely take a sidebar here to talk about Marco's specific morphine problem. Yes, and how sort of blasé Axe is about the fact that Marco Marco's like morphine into two different things at the same time. Even though last book, being able to maintain parts of two morphs at the same time was so impressive to Aldrea that it, it proved how big of a badass Cassie was at morphine, hmm. I really disliked that Marco's thing that he can't stop doing right now is the thing that last book we knew was literally impossible until Cassie managed to pull it off. Yeah, that's a great point. I didn't really think about that. It, it acts really doesn't seem... Like, for, for all the other weird morphing shit, we usually get some sort of axe... Uh, pop-up bubble at the bottom of the screen that's like, oh, well, this is this sort of Andalite thing. <laughs> and it's just sort of like, yeah, it's hand-wavy science stuff, but we get it. Oh, yeah. We we don't even really get that for this. Like, there's not even really a, a suggestion about what it is. And if it's, if it's stress, if it's stress that's causing it, it seems inevitable that it would happen to the rest of the gang. But maybe it's like a lack of emotional expression or something. I don't know. Do you think anybody's ever done a pop-up video of an episode of the Animorphs TV show? <gasps> Is that where the Fandalite goes after we finish reading all the books? I mean, Are we going to make a pop-up episode? I, mean, I don't know. I'll have to, I'll have to look into how, <laughs> how transformative you have to be to count as fair use, but... Oh, that's a good point. Because I've got the skills. We could do that. It, it, it does sound like it would be... Fuck. Way less work than uh, than a riff track style situation. Yeah, we wouldn't have to be as funny. We could just be smart, which is the tagline for me and how I've gotten through life so far. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this, so William Roger Tennant, not David Tennant, which is what I read a whole bunch. <laughs> William Roger Tennant is portrayed in this. His yerk, at least, is portrayed in this as insane because he hates these birds that he needs to use for cover. And Marco looks him in the eye as he's getting, uh, like, crushed to death by his thumbs and is like, this dude's cray. This dude's super cray. I hated that. I hated that we have two yerks in within the span of three books that are, quote unquote, insane. It does seem like it's been kind of way overused by this point. 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, if we're talking about tropes, I think that is one that is also just very annoying. Like the the enemy that's just crazy. That's why they're doing it. Aside from vilifying mental illness, it just seems lazy. Yeah. Um. I mean, my the apologetic, the obvious apologetic for that is to to say that it, it's the Yerk that is controlling David Tennant. That's what I'm going to call him now. Uh, because just like in that one Megamorph, that's now who's playing it in my gritty W, <laughs> my, my gritty Netflix uh, reboot. And David Tennant would be amazing in this oh, role. Oh yes, the <laughs> the obvious apologetic for it is is that the Yerk who is controlling David Tennant has been just annoyed off a cliff by the iron will <laughs> of David Tennant constantly haranguing him and having to live around all of the birds. Uh, and we do kind of get a little bit of an insight into that where Marco sees, like, William David Tennant, like, it, it sees him sort of can tell that he's fighting uh, <laughs> hard enough yes, to get that yerk to yeah. stop. I don't think that there's enough put there to really play that like they do, though. Hmm. Like, I, I, I think that's what was was being gone for. I don't think they quite stuck the landing on it. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think there's enough. It felt a little rushed. Like Marco was just like, nope, this guy's insane. Yurks are insane. It's not a death cult. They're all just crazy. Like, okay, well, you're really undercutting our canon, Marco. God, rude. I mean, I think he he said that Andalites have torsos in this. So already we know this book is not canon. Yeah, absolutely not canon. I secretly wanted William to be kind of evil like i wanted not the not the yerk in him but the host i kind of wanted the host to actually secretly hate animals and then <laughs> and then and then that was just like the melding of the yerk and the host is what made him so crazy but i guess we don't really get to see uh, actual william he never peeks through the yerk in this so like a like a crusty the clown type situation where where his on-screen persona is is friendly and <laughs> And just in real life, he's awful. Yeah, exactly that. That's what I was hoping for. That would have been pretty good. That's yeah. a missed opportunity, I think. Yeah, that's true. Maybe when they do the gritty reboot of the books, that'll be that'll be in that one. Well, there is a point where, like, after he kind of uh, goes hog wild in the in the stage where one of the people says, "You want to put this lunatic on the air? Try Fox." And so, probably in the gritty reboot, that's the origin story of the O'Reilly Factor. Oh, God. Or maybe I'm imagining he has a YouTube channel. Oh, no, no. Oh, God. Oh. That hurts me so much. <laughs> Is there anything else in this book that you wanted to cover? Just that this plan would have been way easier to pull off in 2018. Like so many of these books... <sighs> All of the stuff that they, they try would have been way easier to pull off with access to omnipresent video recording technology. Yeah, a smartphone and access to YouTube again could have could have cut this pretty short. I mean, that's true for most of this shit. That actually probably could have cut the series pretty short because the yeah. first time a video showed up of uh, watched watch this chick turn into an elephant, uh, <laughs> no, no edits, world star, world star. Uh, somebody would have definitely made that connection, and Visser 3 decapitation be damned, the Animorphs would have been caught. 
That's true. I thought you were going to say the first time there was like footage of a yerk like crawling on the ground. And I was going to argue that I've watched a lot of dumb YouTube videos <laughs> with weird CGI. That's like, look at this totally real angel. Proof angels exist. Here's proof that the Loch Ness Monster really exists. And I was like, nah, yerks would not make a dent. But you're right. Elephant Girl would. Yeah, yeah. The, the yerk videos, I like to think that if there was a videotape of a yerk on YouTube, then some yerk would plant a story to explain it away by saying, well, that's a Malaysian sea cucumber. And they <laughs> behave really weird because bizarre gross animal videos are... I know you ever seen that one with like the... It's a slug or something, but you touch it and it shoots out the... the it looks like it's burrowing into your skin. I don't know. It's, I've seen things on YouTube that make me think that uh, someone some host, some controller who's a biologist would say, oh, yes, that's just this animal, and people would buy it, and then they're safe. And if they didn't have one, they would just control a biologist and make them say it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's, a good, it's a good system. Man, now I'm thinking about like the sort of information control protocols that the Yerk pool would have to have in 2018. Like the... It, they'd have the everybody leave their cell phone bins before you even go down into it. Oh, um, do you yeah. think that they I mean, they've got the Gleet biofilters. Do you think they'd have people getting frisked or like metal mm. detectors or? Uh, yeah, because because all it would take is like one controller who forgets to to put their cell phone in the bin on their way in. And then their host has that cell phone when they're not controlled. Yeah, e even if their host doesn't have the access to the cell phone, if it's down in the Yerk pool and it happened to get root kitted by somebody, oops, all <laughs> of a sudden. Some random hacker has access to audio from the fucking Yerk pool, which is not a good scene. Yeah, that's a really good point. I feel like, oof, I don't even know how that would work because I don't think metal detector detectors would would get the job done. I think it would have to be, it, you you have to turn in your cell phone to get it access to the pool. One in, one out. Yeah, I, I assume it would be a defense in depth thing. Like they would have, you'd have to turn in your cell phone, but also they'd probably have metal detectors in case you forgot you were wearing your Fitbit or whatever. Um, oh, fuck. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I imagine it, it would it would be a series of, of chambers that you had to proceed through in order to make it to the actual sensitive area. Not nearly as just like come and go. Uh, not as casual as the York pool seemed to be at this moment. You have to place your order for a Happy Meal with Extra Happy through the McDonald's app. Oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> really horrible. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There would be some sort of weird app. There'd be like a, a tracking app that was Yerks only that would subtract like how long you've, it's been since you've had Condrona Rays. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. There would be. Oh, man. Ugh. Terrible. Uh, is there anything else from this book you wanted to talk about? No, I, I think that's a just it's a great springboard uh, for thinking about the real interesting changes you'd have to make to really bring the series forward in time, rather than just the, the sort of half hearted cultural reference updates in the 2008 re-releases. Yeah, no joke. I mean, it'd be it'd be a big endeavor. Hecate would have to be just everywhere. She'd be she'd be a much more prevalent character. Yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> uh, uh, there would be the, the Hecate Chronicles would have a large 
uh, like two or three chapters of her just shutting down the the vast quantity of online harassment that she has to deal with for oh, daring shit. to be a, a woman with technical skill. <laughs> yeah, and that's not even all of the, the DMRI. What is it? No. The takedowns of YouTube videos of the Animorphs that she'd have to oh. be throwing up all the time. The fake letters. The DMCA takedown requests. Yeah. Yes, that's it. It'd be exhausting. So this book ends on a cliffhanger. I don't think we've seen a cliffhanger since the David books, but uh, we're going to end this episode on a cliffhanger in a similar fashion. A little bit shorter than normal. Yeah, it, it ends with Marco getting a call from his mom, and then it's to be continued in Visser, which I'm looking Visser. forward to reading. Visser. I'm, I'm looking forward to reading that too. That That's another ghostwritten book, right? I don't know, actually. I uh-huh. would have to double check that. I know that okay. the, the main series is ghostwritten until like the very end, but I don't know. Yeah, that's that's the thing. I, I would imagine the special books would still be K.A., but uh, you know, who knows? Yeah, I, I'm looking forward to reading Visser because I never did the first go round. Um, Me neither. Yeah. I didn't make it that far. And I really want to see what things are like from that nutcase's point of view. Yeah, I'm interested. We'll es- see. Esplan, we hardly knew ye. <laughs> All right. So that'll do it for this week. Thanks for listening to Fandalites. If you have any questions or comments, uh, hit us up on Twitter. You can email us at fandalites at gmail.com. Our website is www.fandalites.com. You can find us on Tumblr at fandalites.tumblr.com. Are we st- do we still do much with that? Um, No, not very much. Every once in a while before we record, I'll, I'll hop on, but it's not very active. Yeah, I kind of let mine fall off, too. Anyway, there is a Tumblr, fandalites.tumblr.com, and our sister site, andalitetruth.org, which I have seen getting some some link referrals on the Animorphs Reddit, so uh, thank you (laughs) to our fans who have been uh, constantly reposting that, because it seems to always get a chuckle. Um, (laughs) Good, I'm glad. (laughs) Thanks to Dustin O'Dell for the use of his music for our intro and outro. You can find him on Twitter at Dustin of CYT and uh, find more of his stuff at DustinO'Dell.Bandcamp.com. So this will be continued in Visser number one next week. And until then, remember, nostalgia is a drug. <laughs>